Praise the Lord. You're going to have a seat. Let's pray to the Lord as we prepare to worship Him through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of His Word. Father, it is good to be with Your people and be reminded of these truths in song. God, we celebrate Your faithfulness. We celebrate the work of the cross. We celebrate the fact that You made a way for our salvation when we could not save ourselves. And I pray that we would never get over the fact that You sent Your Son to die for us so that we could live in Him. And Father, now as we worship You through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of Your Word, it's my prayer that Your Holy Spirit would come and He would do His illuminating work in us, that He would open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to the the truth of Your Word, the reality of who You are revealing Yourself to be through the ministry of Your Word, through Your Son, and who You are calling us to be in His image. And Father, it's my prayer as always that in this moment of preaching, that you would increase and I would decrease. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If there's one thing that Baptists do well, it's eat. Can I get an amen? In fact, one of my greatest fears in becoming a pastor of a Southern Baptist church was that in my time serving as pastor, I would become more fluffy. And I'm here to testify that some of you in this room have been trying to help me become fluffy the past couple of weeks by the wonderful bread products, pies, brownies that you have brought to our door. I'm grateful for them, uh, but also need to exercise some more. When we gather, we like to gather around food. It seems to be pretty natural as human beings that gatherings and food go together. It's natural. Think about when you want to get to know someone. What's the first thing that you do? Hey, let's go get food together. Let's go have dinner. What's something you want to do when you're dating and you want to ask someone out? Hey, let's go have a meal together. There's something that is part of God's design about how we interact with each other, that meals, food, go together with fellowship. Some of my greatest memories associated with the people of God are times that we spent eating together, something we were going to do today, if not for COVID. I was really looking forward to be able to to gather around food with you guys, to get to know you a little bit more, because food, fellowship around food, deepens relationship. Did you know that when we gather, and we gather around food, we are doing something biblical? Do you remember the four things that the early church was devoted to that we've been looking at in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. As the Lord was transforming them and calling them into a people, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and two ways they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They devoted themselves to these practices because of their ultimate devotion to Christ. And as a result of that, all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they were attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted, devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And today we're focusing on the fact that the early church and we should be devoted to the breaking of bread. And some of you are like, I'm going to pay attention today like never before. You're speaking my language, Jared. We can be devoted to bread for the glory of God, yes. Give up that no-carb diet. Table fellowship. That's what we're going to talk about today. Table fellowship has played an important role in the life and ministry of God's people since they were formed. It played an important role in how they related to each other and also how they related to those outside of the fellowship. Because again, having a meal together seems to deepen relationships. They play an important role in our lives. And what I want to contend this morning is that God even has a plan for the way that we eat. You tell me, Jared, that Jesus is Lord even over when and how I eat? Yes. And I believe if we commit to even, even submitting something as seemingly minute as that to the Lordship of Christ, we will see the blessing We will see Him redeem it for His glory in ways that we could not even imagine. The early church practiced what was called love feasts. We see that term utilized in Jude's epistle in verse 12. The people of God would meet together on a regular basis in order to express love to each other. And this is following the commandment of Christ. In the book of John, verse 13, there's a Passover meal. And Jesus does something pretty remarkable during the the course of that fellowship time together. He bends over and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember this? That was a big deal because feet back then were even grosser than they are today. But Jesus washed their feet. And he says to his disciples, I'm going to give you a, a new commandment. This is in verses 34 and 35 of John 13. I want you to love each other. And I want you to love each other as I have loved you sacrificially, selflessly. And here's how people are going to know that you're mine. They're going to know that you're a unique people, a set-apart people, owned by Christ, by the way that you love one another. And we see pretty early on that as the hearts of these people are transformed by the gospel and the early churches formed and knitted together, they begin to express that love for each other because of the way that God has loved them. And the love that God commands comes forth in a number of ways in the early church, as we've seen in Acts 2, 42-47. They're generous to one another. They share their resources. They sell everything they have and give to any who has need. Throughout the New Testament, we see the church gathering together and embracing one another, giving each other hugs and holy kisses when COVID is not present. I know many of you are waiting the day when you can greet your brother or sister with a holy kiss. Don't worry, it's going to come back at some point. And certainly one of the ways they expressed love for each other was eating together, preparing meals for each other, and inviting people into their homes. And they didn't just do this on Sundays. Day by day, verse 46 says, as they went to the temple, then they would go and eat together. And over time, they begin to partner those meals with the Lord's Supper itself. So that in eating together, they would even have a supernatural meal to remind them that the fellowship they were partaking in was not a natural fellowship, but a supernatural fellowship. 
And it was a way to remember the greater provision of God. They would eat the meal, the food that God had provided, and then they would be reminded through the Lord's Supper, uh, the spiritual meal of the greater provision God had made for them in Jesus Christ. And this was used by God to knit his people together for the gospel work that he had entrusted them to do. Over time, though, sin, as it does, even crept into this. It even began to affect the way that God's people ate with one another and the way they partook of the Lord's Supper. And we see Paul addressing this in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 22. A meal that was supposed to express love began to express division. As certain Christians were allowed to sit at one table and then other Christians had to sit at a different table based on economic or social factors. And then over time, this practice begins to phase out of the practice of the early church. But I want to contend this morning that I believe God still wants to use table fellowship for the ministry of this body and the advancement of His kingdom. I still think it is good for us to submit our tables, our mealtimes to the Lord for His purposes because God does a lot of work around tables. Let me just give you a quick biblical overview. Five things that God shows us can happen when we gather around tables that I think we need to redeem in the life of our own church. Firstly, table fellowship can express acceptance. We can use having a meal together to express visibly that the dividing walls of hostility that used to divide us, the things that would normally divide us in our natural state, have been taken away. I'm thinking about two passages here. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, and Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. In the passage from Mark's gospel, Jesus is sitting around a table with sinners and tax collectors. And the scribes and Pharisees come and they see Jesus sitting with these people that for them were unclean, and they say, how dare he? How can, how can he sit with these people. And you remember what Jesus says? Hey, who needs a physician? The sick or the well? And he's showing us in this moment, as he sits around a table with these people, that these are the very people that Jesus came to save. He's expanding the, the reach of his kingdom right before our eyes as people who used to be unworthy of sitting at his table suddenly now, because of the work that he came to do, are able to sit at a table with the Most High God. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, one of the most tense moments in Scripture as a, a, one apostle confronts another apostle. Paul opposes Peter to his face because Peter does something Contrary to the gospel, he's sitting around a table with some Gentile believers. And a group of Judaizers come up. Those were Jewish Christians who thought that you had to convert to Judaism before you can convert to Christianity. And these Gentile Christians had not done that. They had not converted to Judaism first. And when Peter, who's sitting at the table with these Gentile Christians, sees the Judaizers coming, he backs away from the table. Because he didn't want to be associated with them. Because being around the table meant that they were the same. They were equal. And Paul opposes them and says, Peter, you've missed the point. 
You've missed the point of the gospel. You've missed the, the essence of the gospel. That It's not what we do. It's not physical acts. It's not how we appear that make us holy and righteous before a, a holy and righteous God. It's the work of Christ that does that. He did that work upon the cross. And now all of those who call upon Him for salvation are made clean. That's the work. So notice in both those instances... The fact that these men were sitting at a table meant acceptance. And that same picture is painted today. Every time you sit around a table with someone, it's an opportunity to say that they belong at that table, that we belong at the same table, that we are of the same value, that we are equal before a holy and righteous God. They don't need a kid's table or a servant's table We're all at the same table. So, fellowship around a table expresses acceptance. Table fellowship also allows you to express value. It's a moment for you to be able to declare your love for someone else in the way that you prepare the food and in allowing them to partake of the food. I think about Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son returning home. And in verse 23... The father wants to honor the the son who had returned. Even though he had left the father, spent all of his inheritance, he comes back. And how does the father want to honor his son? What does he prepare? The fatted calf. Not the skinny cow. The fatted, the best he had. He wants to give to his son to show his son and everybody who's looking that he has value that he loves his son. What he prepared and how he prepared it was an act of love toward his son. When we gather, when we give our best, when we serve our, our best as an expression of value to one another, it's an opportunity for the Lord to knit us in fellowship together as we care for one another, as we honor those who, they, who have come into our home. Thirdly, Table Fellowship provides an opportunity for restoration. The fellowship can be healed over tables. There's a great story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David is on the throne. He's he's ascended the throne after King Saul, but there are different families. And if you know anything about this time, if if a new family steps on the throne, they want to eradicate the previous family so there's no threat to the throne. But David wasn't worried about that because man didn't give him his throne. God gave him his throne. And he was also best friends with Saul's son, who was named Jonathan. And he wanted to find a way to honor a promise that he made to Jonathan, to honor the descendants of Jonathan by inviting one of his descendants to his table to make sure everybody knew there's no longer any tension between these two houses. Reconciliation is going to take place. And so David brings Mephibosheth, to his table, uh, son of Jonathan, who had a physical ailment, and the Bible says that as long as he lived, he sat at the king's table as an expression for the whole kingdom that I love Jonathan and that our, our houses are reconciled around this table. Listen, it's hard to stay, stay mad at someone when you're eating with them. And it's a, it's a moment For you both to say, hey, we're sitting at this table because something more matters and I want 
everyone looking at us to know that even though there, were, there may have been some tension, that tension is resolved and reconciliation is taking place. Restoration happens around tables. Number four, table fellowship provides an opportunity for us to be reminded of God's ongoing provision. I love God's design of His kingdom because He takes even the most mundane things and redeems them to remind us of His greater redemptive work, including meals. In the Old Testament, God takes meals all the time and assigns meaning to them so that as you are eating, something that you normally do, you're remembering what God did. Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 8, God institutes the Passover meal. And in the way this meal was prepared and how they partook it, it was a moment to remember that God rescued them miraculously from Egyptian bondage, led them through the wilderness, and brought them to the land of promise. It was a a moment to remember God's provision for them. The food was provision, but it pointed them to a greater provision. And do you know that every time we meet and we eat together, the same opportunity exists? We can sit around a table and we can thank God for the provision of this food that satisfies our hunger, our physical hunger, gives us energy and breath. But it also points us to a greater provision. As we eat bread, we can think about the greater bread, the bread of life, that is satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. We can think about the living water as we drink regular water, the kind of water that will cause us to never thirst again. And those moments where we thank God for His immediate provision, we can be pointed to the greater provision that He has made for us in Jesus. And we give thanks in the many ways that God provides for us. And then finally, table fellowship points us to a future reality. Did you know that our hope is connected to a table? We see in Revelation 19.9 that a supper awaits us. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And the house of our Heavenly Father. Our bridegroom will come back and take us there, and we will sit at the table of the Most High God forever. That's pretty incredible. Because you don't, you don't deserve to be there. You don't belong there. We're enemies of God. And yet, because of the work of Christ, we are now sons and daughters, and we can sit at His table. Oh, it's good news. Every time you sit around a table... I hope you'll think about that greater table and the security of hope that we have that one day we will feast with King Jesus. And these are just some of the ways the Bible teaches us that God uses meals, uses table fellowship to advance the ministry of His people. So here's what I want to challenge us in today as we think about this new season of ministry, new leadership in place, and as we're considering what we need to be faithful to in order to to see this kind of fruitfulness for the glory of God, will we commit ourselves to allowing the Lord to use even our tables for His glory, to enrich our fellowship, and to allow us to grow in favor with those outside of our fellowship. Let me just challenge us this morning in three ways. 
three ways that I want us to grow in our devotion to table fellowship that I believe will have innumerable, will bring about innumerable blessings in the life of our church. Let's consider how even today we can bring back a commitment to the breaking of bread together in such a way that, that true spiritual fruit will begin to take place in the life of our church and through the life of our church. Three ways. Number one, I want to challenge us to protect meal times with our families. Let's protect meal times with our families because it's hard to redeem something that we don't do. One of the commitments that I've brought with me in this new season of ministry as your pastor is a commitment to family worship and family discipleship. I want us to recognize that our homes are the front lines of gospel ministry. That every one of your houses is a kingdom outpost in a neighborhood, apartment complex, townhome community that needs salt and light for the glory of God. I also want us to recognize that every family unit is a, a worshiping unit and that dads, husbands, you guys are spiritual leaders in your homes and you're called to, to be the lead disciple makers in your home. Parents, husbands, wives, mothers, dads, you guys are called to be the lead disciple makers for your kids and it's going to be our joy to come alongside you and help you grow in that commitment to be the lead disciple makers in your home. And I just want you to know, there's no better place. There's no better place to have gospel conversations. There's no better place to have just normal discipleship conversations than around the dinner table. There's just not. Again, it's something it's so unique what happens as you're sitting there face-to-face -face with each other, talking about your day. And all these opportunities come, come out for us to think about all that God has blessed us with. Imagine having this conversation with your kids. Hey, guys, let's sit down and have this meal. Aren't you thankful that you have a mom or dad who took the time today to cook this meal for you as an expression of love? Aren't you thankful that mom or dad took the time to stop at Burger King and buy this for you today? Are you grateful that you had a need and before you even asked, someone was thinking about that need and provided something to meet that need? And isn't that the way that God works? Isn't that, isn't that how God has met our needs? Are you grateful that, that God has allowed dad and mom to have a job? Aren't you, aren't you glad that God's given us these, these, these resources and intelligence to make money that provides for this food and or maybe I grew the food out in the backyard. Aren't you grateful for those things? And, and aren't you grateful for the greater provision that God has made for us in Jesus? This is just a, a brief glimpse of the greater work that God has done to satisfy the deepest hunger that we have, the deepest thirst that we have in Christ. What if every time we sat around a table, we saw it as an opportunity for discipleship and to worship? Now, some of you may be saying, Jerry, you don't know our schedule. We don't have time. Can I just gently say as your pastor, yes, you do. You do. You make time. You make time for what's important. I think one of the greatest gifts of social media, and there are not many of them, but the greatest gift of social media is that it outright rejects the lie that we don't have enough time. 
How many times have you opened up Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is that you do, and you say, I'm just going to check in real quick for a minute, and then 30 minutes later, you're still on it? Or how many times do we open up Netflix, I'm just going to watch one show, and three or four shows later, we're ready to go to bed. You got time. And even if you don't have time right now, guess who decides your schedule? You do. Make time. If you don't do it right now, start one day this week. Two days this week, protect that time. And I want, just see the blessing that comes when you intentionally gather around a table. Now, it may be awkward at first because these aren't muscles that you're flexing often. So parents, come with icebreaker questions. Prepare to help get in the the rhythm of it. And students, kids, when your parents ask you a question, answer. Respond. They're asking because they love you. They want to be engaged. Let's, let's build this. Let's build this rhythm. Let's build this community for the glory of God and start with protecting the meal times with your family. But let's not stop there. Let's see how even that can grow to help us be more devoted to the fellowship. So the second thing I want to challenge us in is that as you establish those meal times, also engage your church family with those meal times. Now, this is where everybody's included. Not everybody has a family yet. I know that. Or no longer has a family in the same way. So this is where all of us can get engaged and involved. Your physical family is not the only family that you should desire to fellowship with. God has called you into a spiritual family. And as we saw last week, this family is a gift. It's a provision for you to be able to continue to walk in faithfulness. Can you imagine how God would grow our love for one another and this body if we would commit to eating with one another? Here's the deal, guys. You cannot be faithful to the calling that God gave us, Jesus gave us in John 13, to love one another and that we would love one another in such a way that people would notice it. We can't do that one hour a week. We can't do it two hours a week. Now, you can't be best friends with 1,100 people. I get that. But you can start somewhere. Get involved in a small group. And then even in that small group, that Sunday school class, find people to have over to your home. When somebody asks you to come to their home, say yes. It may be inconvenient, but it is worth it. And let me take it a step further. Typically, we like hanging out with people who are like us, right? And we kind of look for people who are in the same stage of life. But here's a unique blessing and gift that Bayleaf Baptist Church has. We are a multi-generational church. Do you know that today, on this campus, there are likely five generations under this roof, praising the Lord? Isn't that incredible? Babies to 90s for the glory of God. So let's take advantage of that blessing, right? Older people, invite younger people into your home. Teach them how to make things, that the recipes that have been passed down in your life, and impart to them the wisdom that God has been building in your life over the course of, of many faithful years of walking with Him. Young people, invite older families into your home and remind them of the chaos of your life. <laughs> 
and what it's like to have little kids running around. What a blessing that would be. Look around and find those who aren't in families yet, single people. Invite them into your home. What a blessing it would be for them to come sit down at your table and be a part of your family. And who knows how the Lord will deepen our relationships as a result. What if on a Sunday night or another night of the week, we committed at least once a month to having somebody in our church in our homes and grow it and see what God does. You never know when you're going to need to call someone at three in the morning. You never know when you're going to find yourself in a precarious situation, but wouldn't it be great to know you got a number in your phone that you can count on because God's knit you together for his glory. And finally, the final way that we can redeem table fellowship for the glory of God is that we can invite families outside of our church to our table. And maybe there's a little combination that could happen here. You get somebody from the church, but also somebody from outside the church, and they get to experience your love for each other, and then they get exposed to the love of God, and who knows what God would do in that moment. Here's the deal. I believe hospitality is the key to reaching our community, our nation, and the world. As our culture changes, our city changes, as we're being exposed to people with radically different worldviews than we believe. They may never darken the door of this church, but they would come into the door of your home. And who knows how the Lord would build that relationship so that they would come through this door with you. I think our tables, guys, I think our homes are going to be the front lines of reaching this community for the glory of God. And there's evidence all around that that is the case. I want to offer you a, a testimony today from a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. And she's a, a wonderful Christian woman who uh, is married with kids now and serving the Lord faithfully. She's written books. She speaks a lot of places. But that's not always been the case. In a previous life, before the Lord got a hold of her heart, she was part of the LGBTQ community, and she was a radical feminist that was anti-Christian. And then through an unlikely invitation to join the table of a Christian couple, the Lord called her out of darkness and into light. Can we take a moment to watch this video? Let me say from the outset, I don't know that I would say everything exactly as Rosaria has said it. I probably would have uh, couch some things differently, but I don't want you to miss the overall point and blessing of her testimony. So let's watch that together. We live at this time where so many Christian ideas are understood as hate speech. After the Obergefell decision legalized gay marriage, that put the gospel on a collision course with the new law of the land. And I think many Christians have been struggling with, well, how do I speak? What do I do? How do I move forward? Home is a vital place to invite your neighbors in to have some heartfelt conversations. We can love our children together. We can let some things slide, even though the world we live in would say that we're supposed to be enemies. 
To me, hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. I was raised in an Italian family. There were some issues in my house that made it almost impossible to have people in. So hospitality didn't really become endemic to my life until I had set up a home of my own. I was a professor at Syracuse. I lived as an out lesbian feminist in New York. In our LGBTQ community, somebody's home was open every night of the week. And there was never a question, where will I go if I need help? Because the community itself is organic and fluid, and that was how we dealt with crises. After I wrote my tenure book, I really wanted to write a book that was on my heart. Why is the religious right such a hateful community? And why do they hate people like me? I was on a war against two things, patriarchy and stupid. So I was really curious to know why relatively decent people would use the Bible in such a hateful way. So I wrote an editorial and it brought all kinds of attention my way, which I didn't really expect. But one of the things that brought my way was a letter from Ken Smith, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. When Ken and his wife Floyd invited me to dinner, I was happy. I, th I thought of Ken as my unpaid research assistant. And they were fine with the fact that I, I wanted to read the Bible to critique it. That began a research journey that changed my life. But it wasn't research that changed my life. In Ken and Floyd's home, the way that they practiced hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. After my first dinner at Ken and Floyd's house, Ken gave me a big hug. Floyd gave me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. We said, we'll catch up next week. This was fun. Can't wait to do it again. They did not share the gospel with me, and they did not invite me to church. And that was so wonderful, because what it showed to me was that they didn't see me as a project. They actually saw me as a neighbor. Now, I didn't step foot in the church for two years, but every week I was in their home. And every week, it was clear that pretty much anything could go. We could ask anything. Ken and Floyd were fine. And that process of dialogue and table fellowship was compelling. It was deeply compelling. I did not come to faith because I stopped feeling like a lesbian. It's not that I got all of my worldview issues just completely cemented with a happy Christian evangelism, not at all. I came to faith because I became convicted that Jesus is who he says he is. Ephesians 4.29 is our watchword, that we are to impart grace to the hearer. I might not agree with everything that you hold to be near and dear, but because we are neighbors, I don't have to say everything that's on my heart. And you don't have to say everything that's on your heart right now. We can put some of our worldview issues aside. And over years of this, the gospel takes on a momentum 
that is compelling to people. I think we need to give each other the reminder that it's God who saves. It's not about certainly us being perfect or our words being perfect, but show up we must in the lives of unbelievers. What comes naturally to me and what comes naturally to you is to hang out with people who are like us. <laughs> people who can maybe finish our sentences, people who don't scare us. But hospitality, biblically speaking, takes strangers and makes them neighbors, and takes neighbors and makes them family of God. It's a great joy to see the gospel bring people together who are supposed to be enemies. And it's a great joy to know that God never gets the address wrong. And if your neighbors aren't people you know yet, there's a blessing waiting for you. Can we just give thanks to the Lord for that powerful testimony? I mean, what an incredible transformation that took place from someone who was so against the gospel to now someone who is an advocate for the gospel. Only the power of God can do that. Amen. And if you want to know more about, yeah, praise the Lord. And if you want to know more about her story and how that unfolded, you can uh, get her book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. But what I love about uh, the way she described her progression is that she said she went from being a stranger to a neighbor and then a neighbor to, the, to a family and part of the family of God. That can only take place through the work of Christ. What if, church family, what if we committed ourselves to inviting someone outside of our church into our home for dinner? And maybe the Lord's already put someone in your mind, someone from work, someone from your neighborhood that you see on your walks at night, and you don't know where they stand before the Lord, but you feel an impulse to invite them to come and have a meal. Would you be open to that? Would you be open to the, the Lord asking you to open your home in that way, open your table in that way? If you don't have anybody, would you pray the Lord would bring someone to mind? And then would you pray that in the moment that they're in your home that you would have a gospel sensitivity to know how the conversation should unfold? I don't want you to get hung up on what she said about uh, them not sharing the gospel the first night or not inviting her to church. What I, I think she's meaning there is that there was a gospel sensitivity that they had to make sure that the Holy Spirit was guiding the conversation. And she came in very antagonistic to the church. And they wanted to be sensitive to that, but they also had a plan that it wasn't going to be the last time they had a conversation with her. They were going to continue to have conversations for her. And at some point, obviously, they did share the gospel because she gave her life to Jesus. Amen? So will we be open to that? There may be someone who is in desperate need who comes into your home and begins to unload, and there's a clear moment where you can share the gospel, but it may take time of, of sowing seeds and planting seeds for the, the Holy Spirit to open up a door and open up a moment for you to be able to share the gospel. Would you, but would you be willing to have that kind of devotion and work? Would you be willing to give that kind of time like Ken and family did in their home? Who knows what rosarias are outside in our neighborhoods? waiting to transform from being against the gospel to advocates for the gospel. I pray that these pews would be filled with people, that our, our baptistry would be filled with people who sat at our tables. And now, because of our faithfulness to, to live and, and proclaim the gospel, are qualified to sit at Jesus' table. 
Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? To see take place through the ministry of this church. Friends, let's reclaim our meals for the glory of God. Let's allow family discipleship to take place. Let's let the Lord knit us together into fellowship. Let's let our homes become front lines of gospel ministry, kingdom outposts. And let's also remember how all of that table work points us to that future table when we will sit with Jesus forever. Let me ask you this question. Do you know that you'll be able to sit at that table? Do you know that you're qualified to sit before a holy and righteous God through the work of Christ? Let me just declare to you today, if you don't know, if you're ready for that table, you can know today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. If you will come to the same place that Rosaria came to, to recognize that Jesus is everything he said he was, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, the, the suffering servant who became obedient even to death upon a cross, so that in his death we could find life. If you will give yourself to that, make him Lord of your life, if you feel the Spirit leading you into that today, we would love to, to speak with you up here and help you navigate what the Lord's leading you to as he reveals himself to you in Jesus. For the rest of us, who are at that table? Are we using our tables here to help prepare for that table? Help our families, our faith family, and those outside know him. Will we be committed, devoted to the breaking of bread for the glory of God? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond. Do you want to come to Jesus' table today? in repentance and belief. Do you want to grow in the use of your home and your table and your food for his kingdom purposes? Father, would you help us? Would you bring to mind people that we should bring to our home in this room or in our neighborhoods at our work? And Father, would we be faithful even this week to extend an invitation and see what you do through that act of obedience. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.